What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, the unstoppable, the inexorable, Mike C-Rock. I'm in the house today after a trip from LA that some would have considered travel from hell. However, when you figure things out, you finally figure things out in life. You make it a great trip. You make it fun. My son and I got the bond. I was just talking to you know, our guest today, Simon, uh, in, the, in the quote unquote green room about this. And I'm back. I feel fine. I feel uh, ready to go and re-energize. And it's great to have a great guest with us today. Another unstoppable person, Simon Leslie's here. He's the founder and chief executive of Inc., a global travel ma- uh, media company. At the onset of the pandemic, Simon's business plummeted from projections of earning $150 million to zero almost overnight. And how he has been able to work his company back to the top is an incredible story of grit, creativity, and resilience. There's a big, giant, long bio here, and I'll just stop right there because I'll let him talk about the rest of the stuff. Simon, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Yeah, every time I listen to people talking about me, I get a bit embarrassed because um, I'm, I'm, I'm a humble guy. You know, I didn't know I was going to turn out all right. I was, <laughs> I had lots of doubt. I had, lo- I had everyone telling me that I wouldn't amount to anything. So the fact that I amounted to something is a miracle, I think. Yeah, well, I'm going to encourage you just to receive it when people are talking about you. Because I'll tell you, like, I figured that part out too. Like, I used to get like that too. And oh, man, I just open my arms and say, thank you. I love it. Keep talking about me because that means that they, they, they have something that they're impressed with or inspired by, or maybe they're talking shit on you too. That's true too. And I let that come too, because that just fires me up. But anyway, I don't want to get too deep into this without asking the famous question of my show. Simon, what are you made of? Almond croissants, <laughs> storytelling, creativity, failure, and belief. I think okay. that's the recipe. That's the ingredients of my life. I love Too it. Too many almond croissants, unfortunately. But the, uh, the storytelling, creativity, I definitely honed over the last decade. And that's what I've become. And I've realized the better stories you tell, the better, better narrative you create, both in your mind and, and verbally out- outwardly. That's the life you create for yourself. So were you always a good storyteller? No, I was terrible. I was a shy 16-year-old who would cross the road rather than look someone in the eye. I mean, I was, I, I just don't know what happened. I got sent, not got sent away. I went away to work in, on a law, uh, for a lawyer on a fraud case. It was the first time I'd been away from home. And I was like, I wouldn't say boo to a goose. And all of a sudden I'm living on my own in this place I don't know anybody. And uh, I think that, I suddenly found some confidence and some some belief, and from there it propelled onwards. And that was sixteen ish. That was sixteen, yeah. Okay, so that wasn't too far into your life and career, so to speak, that you had to really con- learn to confront things. I think that you're going to love this. I didn't tell you this in the green room part, um, but you're going to love this thing I'm going to tell you in a minute. But I noticed that uh, a lot of people will introvert naturally, 
And then they also, no matter how intelligent they are, no matter what they figured out, when they share information that they know, whether they're wise onto something, they've experienced something, whatever it is, but maybe they read something and they bring that information to a crowd of people, even or one influential people in their lives. And that person discounts them or invalidates it, even though they're the, the, the people that are invalidating are totally wrong. That person pulls back and introverts. And uh, the story I'll tell you real quick about this. You brought this up now, so I have to tell you. My son and I were listening to music on the way home. We had a three-hour drive from the airport unexpectedly. And we were listening to music. And I, and I told him, I said, put on the wall soundtrack from Pink Floyd. Now, I, didn't, I don't know why, because it seems so obvious to me now, but I didn't realize that song was so about people or kids building up walls around themselves and introverting, caused by the government, caused by teachers, their parents, themselves allowing it to happen. And one brick at a time, another brick in the wall was each incident that would happen that would people be, would be invalidated or tried to be controlled or what have you. And I just, it clicked for me. It was like a realization, like, holy shit, this is, this is, this is what this song was about all these years. I just never really like, I don't know what the hell I thought it was about. So yeah, that came out of that trip last night I was telling you about, but that's what you were doing as a kid. Like, you, you know, a lot of teenagers do this, especially in the pandemic, they build this wall around themselves. They introvert. And you can't, it's impossible to be successful when you introvert, you know? And, and so 16, you, you had to confront that. I guess you extroverted. And what, what happened? How did you start telling stories? I'm going to challenge you there because I don't think I ever, I think I'm a confident introvert. You know, I'm very comfortable in my own skin, very comfortable sitting in a restaurant on my own table for one. But I'm also very confident in a, in a group and amongst people and making people laugh and, and having fun. But I do think I'm still that shy 16-year-old kid just with a lot more knowledge, a lot more bravado to come with it. So rather than there's people out there today who are, walk around like they own and they've done everything and they've actually achieved nothing, you know, I've used the medals or the honors or the awards and the, the learnings and the failures to become a more rounded, better equipped human being. Yeah. So what happened at 16 then? What, what, where did you start getting into the storytelling? At 17, I left school. I, I was thrown out of school. I was asked to leave politely. I wasn't a very good student. I didn't, didn't like education. And I think it's quite interesting that all my boys are going to end up leaving school and not go to university. And that's not because I'm not pushing them to. It's just they've made that decision themselves. And I went, I looked in the paper those days and I circled any job and it said, no experience necessary in 300 pounds a week, which is about 500 bucks in those days. And I went, yeah, let's do that. And it was a commission only insurance, knocking on doors, selling insurance door to door. And that's what I went off and did. And that was my very first job. On the very first night out on the street, I sold a policy. No one had ever done that before. Within a month, they promoted me to running a team, 17 spotty with a Renault 5 and four guys. And we used to drive around the roughest parts of London, drop them there and say, right, go go and sign up some policies. And I, and I just started developing very quickly. And I went, Do you know what? I'm quite good at this sales business. You know, that's where the where the, the confidence started to kick in. And you know, those early early eighties were were an interesting time. It was a time of Maggie Thatcher and you know, Greed is Good and Wall Street and all those those movies. That was me. That was me working in the city, trying to make success of it. I'd always <laughs> I'd always won sorry, this is the, the leftover of COVID, that little cheeky cough. Um oh, yeah. the I'd always wanted to be a real estate. You call it real estate, we call them estate agents. Yeah. Right. So Show people around flat, go, there's a kitchen, there's a bathroom, you know, in case you didn't know yourself. And none of those would give me a job. So what do you do when you've made a few pounds? You go, I'll buy my own one. So that's what I did. I went from there and I bought my own estate agency. And this was 
coincided with the biggest recession of the 80s. It was basically like 2008. Everything collapsed. I survived about a year. And then I chucked the towel in and said, look, it's not for me. My very my mate who we'd met on the first day at the door-to-door insurance came back. He'd been traveling around the world. He'd been headhunted when we were selling insurance. Some guy opened the door and said, oh, darling, you're fabulously attractive. I'm going to turn you into a superstar. He became the face of Tango and, and Peanuts. And he went off around the world traveling, blew every, every dime that he'd made. He said, right, Cy, we're going to go into the advertising business. We're going to sell adverts. And that's what we did. And that's how I guess I started. And there was a few iterations after that. But that's how I got into advertising. And then you were how old at that point? 20. Okay, 20. And then you started selling advertising. And then how did that lead into what you've, you know, really are known for based on the bio here, which global travel media company? Like what, yeah, like how did that transpire? So, and, did, and by the way, did you ever see yourself like, sometimes I think to myself too, like, did I see myself where I am today back in the day? Like, did you ever vi- visualize where you are today and it, and it actually happened or? It's funny. So he came in one day and he said, um, I'm going to leave. I'm going to live in Australia. So you can do what you like with the business, but I'm, you know, we built up a little local magazine business, like a shelter magazine for the posh areas of London. And he decided he fell in love with this Australian girl and he was off and he was going to go and marry her. And then he got to Australia and found her in bed with somebody else. And that's a whole different story. But he left me. And at that same time, I met my current partner, Michael Keating. And together we got into the, you know, we, we weren't a travel media business. We were just a generalist publisher. We were publishing magazines for law society, for accountants. We had a magazine called Allergy. And people used to get sick with the plastic when it arrived. So we we didn't know anything about travel. And then we won this contract for a tiny little airline, probably the smallest airline in the world, British Mediterranean Airlines. They had one route from London to Beirut. This was after the civil war in the 90s. So they'd just been at war for a decade. And we went in there and we made a success of it. And then we won this other airline, which was an East African airline. So Rwanda, Uganda, Tanzania. So I spent most of my formative years traveling around the Middle East, traveling around Africa, meeting different cultures. And you know, if you want to know where the storytelling came from, go do business in the Middle East, go do business in Africa. You'll learn everything you need to know about negotiating, about dealing with people, dealing with hotheads, calm people, people who've got no emotion, too much emotion. And that's, I guess that's where I learned. And also the traveling broadens your mind. It gives you abundance of confidence as well. So two things. One, the magazine itself for like an airline. Okay. Let, let's explain this to the audience. So this is a magazine for their guests or their clients when they come on the thing for them to read, they'd be stuck, stuck inside the seats. Is that right. what you're talking about? Okay. So pre-COVID, we had 39 clients, 39 airlines. So we were the, we were the biggest by a country mile. I think I've got so, a world so, record. So, so American Airlines, for example, just like- American, United. So their uh, American Ways magazine, I think it's called, or, or something like that. And Southwest correct. has one, right? That's you guys. We did a lot of those. Okay. Not okay. anymore. No, no, no. But so, that's so what you did. And then so everybody understands. Did, yeah. And then there's magazine, there's ads sold in those magazines because obviously they have eyes on them because people are in the seats. So Correct. I got it. Okay. Makes sense. All right. So then you want to elaborate on that before my next question? Yes. So we, so we, we decided, do you know what? We're quite good at this. We, after 9-11, so 9-11 was a, was a real turning point for a lot of people because people got scared of the airline business. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you know what? I'm not scared of it. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to boom. And in the early 2000s, it, it really did boom. It went from, I think it was 52 new airlines launched in 2000 to 2005. And basically we were the de facto supplier. We dominated the space. 
So if someone launched a new airline, we got a phone call saying, do you want to do the magazine? And we made a success of it from there. From about 2003, we said, this is a space we're going to dominate. And we went off. My first client was in Atlanta, was Airtran Airways. First time I got into the States, we didn't have an operation here. We ran it from London with a night shift. Same time we launched in Singapore with a couple of airlines over there. So we had this, suddenly we had a global business. We've gone from a you know, cottage industry in the UK to having working on three different time zones. And then I was spending my life running between the three of them. And how did you learn how to scale the company? Like, you know, all companies go through these stages, right? And then they hit these ceilings or they hit these things where they, if their foundation's not set up properly, but how did you know how to scale? And how did you like, because obviously the publishing had to, you know, picked up and then you'd have to have a larger operation, larger printing press area, whatever you call it. (laughs) So how did you know how to do that? Did you learn on the fly? Did you get advisors, mentors? A lot of it was learning on the fly and just learning, learning as you progress. I had breakfast with someone this morning and he said to me, look, he's in property. And he said, what people fundamentally don't understand is doing a $250,000 flat or a $25 million flat, the paperwork is the same. The effort is the same. It's just the rewards and the risks are different. And, yeah. you know, that was the same thing with us. You know, all we were doing was launching more of the same in, in more markets. And listen, we went into China and we got our ass kicked. Went into Russia and got our ass kicked. Went into India, got our ass kicked. Because we were trying to run a business the same way we ran it in other markets. And some markets didn't take to our way of doing business. But we succeeded in Singapore. We succeeded in London. And we succeeded in the States. And then United came along. American came along. And all of a sudden, we've got the biggest airlines in the world. Singapore, Etihad, Virgin are all became clients of ours. And that's what propelled us. And you know, from 2007 to 2012, everyone kept saying, it's the end of magazines. You've got to get out of here. This, is a, this ain't going to survive. And I can tell you, December 2019 was our best ever year. We made the most amount of money we'd ever made, all our magazines. Wow. And then how did you, how did you uh, learn also, I guess from experience probably, but how major companies handle bids instead of like, you're not selling to one person, you know, you're not pitching someone, your bid, you know, you select bids or are they select bids, you submit one. Like, how did you learn all that, that right, you know, racket? You know, when you get passionate about a product or a project, you become better at pitching, you become better at bidding, you become better, you, you start to know what the market will pay. You start to know what your competitors will do and how far they will go. And we just had bigger balls than everybody else. And, you know, there was one deal we did with a very big airline. We were sat in the field in the middle of nowhere. The only Wi-Fi was we were stealing off somebody's cottage from, you know, three blocks away because we couldn't find Wi-Fi. And we're making a $30 million bid for this contract. And we're like, we're looking at each other in this field at night, looking up at the stars, going, are we really going to do this? And we said, oh, fuck it. Let's just do it. Send, press send, press send. And that was it. And we won it on, you know, I remember the moment of where we were sat, the emotion of making that commitment. And... That's what you had to do. You had to be brave. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. And when you got those bids... Did you ever have that old shit moment? Like, oh shit, how are we going to produce this much? (laughs) Like, were you already capable of that? Like at that point, did you ever have that moment? I think sometimes when we were running it, we'd gone, we very rarely got it wrong. It's really weird. And I don't know if that was just luck or anything else, but we rarely got it wrong. 
nearly every single one we we made a success of. There was a couple where we've had a foobar here and we've got to get out of this one as quickly as we got into it. But it was so few and far between. And the thing is with doing business, and this is a lesson for anyone in business, we hardly lost any contracts, mainly because at the time of going into business, we decided we were repitching. So we just won the contract. And I said, right now we behave like we're repitching. Yeah, we ain't waiting. Yeah. We ain't waiting five years mm-hmm. like everybody else. You know, they'll get to the last day and then they'll say, "Oh, this is the improvements we're going to make on the next contract." Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I love that. We started making improvements on day one. Yeah, right. We've done the first issue. How can we make it better? What can we do? Let's go out to every customer. And let's find out what we can do better. So that was, I think, that's what differentiated us with it. You know, people always say to me, "How, how did you dominate a space?" Because I've done it again with the TV. It's about doing things that you're not paid to do. Your contract says yeah. you do this. My, I then say, well, what else can we do that's going to make us give far better value to, to all parties involved? Yeah, yeah, I love that. So then the pit, the uh, magazines, when digital comes out and innovation comes out, you're moving to television now. Like, Did you go through a transition where you're like, okay, we got to figure something out and then how to get it maybe into their apps, their mobile apps and somehow selling? And by the way, did you guys sell the advertising? Yes. Okay. So for all these magazines, you guys are the ones that you have a sales team too, that's selling mag- advertising and the airlines don't handle that at all. No, we, we uh, did everything. Everything was super nuts. So we took a blank canvas and said, this is what's going to be in there. And then we had a, at my peak, I had 155 salespeople across the world. And it was the biggest direct sales team, certainly in this media space. Gotcha. So you call a business up and say, hey, listen, we, we run the media for these airlines. Um, here's the details, let's set up a call, and then, and then you'd show them the numbers and all that. Okay, got it. Just like any other marketing. How about the, the, the transition now, though, with, with innovation technology and mobile apps coming out? Like, what, what's the, what are you doing now? And then what's on the docket for the future? What's the <laughs> I was very much ahead of my time. So we panicked in 2012. We went, you know, the, the end is nigh for the, uh, for the print magazine, this little magazine. So what we've got to do is we've got to, we've got to get into apps and we've got to build apps and we've got to do all this. And we said, look, we'll spend a couple of hundred thousand dollars. A couple of hundred thousand dollars became five million. And we'd, we'd, we'd not only built apps for the magazines, we built apps for the airlines. So like you get on the United app today and you book everything. We built two of those for two big Asian and Australian airlines. Wow. And we always thought, well, we'll, we'll own the app and then we'll own the advertising space. Yeah. By the time we spent all this money, we built it. There was no advertisers. They weren't that interested in it. And then the airlines wow. decided they didn't want to give. So that nearly, that basically bankrupted us in 2015. So I was on my knees. So that was the first real episode of not caused by anything other than my own stupidity or our own stupidity. And uh, we had to rebuild from there. And I managed, I remember being <coughs> sat in the boardroom with, uh, with Deloitte's and the woman from Deloitte's looking me in the eye and going, you are not capable of saving this business. You are not capable of running this business. And I went, it's very good information, but it's not factually correct. And uh, I'll <laughs> prove you wrong. And uh, from that day onwards, we, 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 we was four of us. We removed a few of our partners and Michael and I took the business back and we doubled the turnover, doubled the bottom line consistently for five years until the pandemic came along. Sticking with magazines. Sticking with magazines. Sticking to, to what we were good at. Yeah, leaning into what works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was that one of the darkest times? Like, what's one of the darkest times of the business? Like, were, oh, you, the, were, you, were you like, it's sleep at night, it's hard to sleep. When you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, shit, I got to deal with this again. That kind of feeling. No, that was COVID. You know, COVID. COVID was the first time that, as a business, we had zero control. 
because you've gone through 9-11, you've gone through 2008, you've gone through 2012 when countries were going bust. And now you've gone through our own little, you know, nuclear mess. And then, but all the way through that, we remain profitable. We never lost any money during any of those years, but we were never making very much money. We were always making sort of between one and two million a year. But then along came this pesky pandemic and they closed the airports, they switched off the airplanes. They said, you cannot do your business. There's nothing you can do. And that was the first time in my life where I felt like, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do next. Take us through it. Like what, 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 what was going on? It's not just that, that thought right there. Like obviously days happen, weeks happen, months happen. Like take us through that, that, that timeline. That's why I wrote the book. You've got, you got a diary of a CEO in crisis. You've got 24 months from February 2020 right the way through to December 2021. I literally documented everything I did, how I behaved, how I thought, how I dealt with the highs, the lows, basically the transformation of a business from a print magazine publishing business into today, which is a, a travel media business, which is the marketplace for, if anybody wants to reach a traveler, I've created the marketplace. So people come here and they can track a traveler. That might be somebody who's reading a magazine. There's only four magazines left, by the way. The, we bought a bit of technology during the pandemic, which allows us to target airline passengers. So I know that you were flying from LA to, to Washington last week. Didn't quite get a plan, but I, know, I, you know, I could target you at all those legs of your journey. And target me on what? My, on social media? On where are you Social media, me? yeah. So okay. Facebook, Instagram, Google, okay. Okay. TikTok. Yeah. Um, and then I also, we'd invested in a TV network called Reach TV in 2018, but it was a small little network. And then January 12th, 2021, the mighty CNN decided they were going to leave the airport and all their screens that they had at the airports. And we took it over. And that was a, a huge game changer. It took us from having the sort of second or third in some airports network to suddenly having the biggest airport network, a TV network in, in the country. So on all the TVs and airports in what country? US? In the US, yeah. In the US, US and Canada. So then when, you, when I'm at the airports, when I'm traveling, that's Reach TV that most television I'm seeing? Correct. Okay. And then to follow that up, we negotiated with the NFL and we won the rights to, to play football at the airport. So over the weekend, we, had, we were the only network that had all five games leading up all the way to the Super Bowl. So all of a sudden, we went from this sleepy little network to being Fox Sports or ESPN. You know, we were the home of live sports. We then bought live sports into planes. So if you get on an Etihad, Emirates, Singapore, the big airlines of the world, if there's a live sports game on, we have that live on, on in and, flight as well. And then the way you pay for it is the average selling ads on those shows and all the, the programming, Correct. right? Okay. Just like a regular television show. Okay. So, and I'll wind down on this question here because I know we're up on, against the clock here. But I guess my question is, did you really know what you were doing throughout this whole thing, especially this last pivot? Or is it things like you were like, because here's the thing, the reason I'm asking this there's a, to me, I'm a very creative person too. So when you're more creative, a lot of times there's a lot more ideas that you can try to execute upon, right? So did you know what was going to work right away and then leaned into it? Or did you try, were you trying things like, like what full transparency and people can read the book. I want to, I want, I'm going to send people where they can get it before we wrap up here, but full transparency. Did you really know what the hell you were doing or did it just click? Gonna go back to my 16-year-old self. I still haven't got a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and when they figure it out, there'll be trouble. But no, that's what I used to say quite a lot, actually. I used to say yeah. that a lot. And actually, what I suddenly realized was, you know what? I'm really good. 
I'm really good at doing what I do. And I had to borrow a lot of money to do the CNN deal in a very short space of time. And I remember the investor asking me and saying, well, how come you can do, you think you can do what CNN couldn't do? And I said, that's why you don't pay me enough money. And he spat his soda off across the table. And I said, look, I just believe it. You know, I've seen people who've made lots of money out of social media at the beginning of social media. And they said, why, why did you make money and others didn't? He goes, because I've looked at the numbers and I went, the numbers are there. The people are there. The timing is there. I'm going to make money out of this. And I've always had that same position with travel. The, as long as the people are there, as long as the airlines can operate, there's so many, the numbers are so huge and the audience is so curated because we've got rid of people who are really, really old, really, really poor, really, really, you know, not interested in going anywhere. So what you're left with is this really the nice, creamy, juicy bit of the pie that everybody wants to reach. And as long as that number keeps growing, which it is at the moment, we've got that, you know, there's nothing we can do that's going to stop us being successful. And everybody has, well, not everybody, but most people have two eyes. <laughs> so yeah, that's a lot of eyeballs. Man. Think about it. Wow. Yeah. So, so Simon, uh, what is it that you want to promote and, and today? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say on that point, that's what's beautiful about the, this inventory that I've created, this marketplace I've created. There's no bots. There's no skipping ads. There's no you know, fake news. There's, everything is truth and positivity. It's real people going in somewhere. Now, they might be going on holiday. They might be going on business. They might be just going to a conference. That's the sort of people you want to reach while they're in that. So they've got yes. their credit card in their pocket and they want to spend money. And that's that. just so for clarification, Reach TV is the ones that are in the airport. What's the marketplace called? Inc. Inc. is the marketplace. Inc. is the marketplace. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but within that marketplace, I've got Wi-Fi advertising. I've got Wi-Fi in flight. So, if you want to buy, you want to sponsor somebody's Wi-Fi session, I can do that for you. I've got the in-flight magazines. I've got the retargeting of the airline passenger data. All of that's fifteen airlines across the world. So that's not just li- limited to the states. And then we've got Reach, which is growing all over the world as well. So, how do they get to Inc? Is it Inc.com? Inc-Global.com. Inc-global.com. Go check that out, guys. And then how about the book, Simon? Talk about the book, the title, where they can get it. This was the most cathartic <laughs> experience, putting this together, just documenting all down. It's called Equanimity, which is the process of remaining calm under pressure. I just looked up uh, that. I just looked. No shit. I'm, I'm not lying. I was out in LA doing a thing called word clearing, learning a lot of different words from subjects back in the day that I didn't, that I might've checked out on once I passed some misunderstood words, right? And on the way home, somebody said that word, and I looked it up just yesterday. And you're used to it today, so it's just wild. But anyway, go ahead. Equanimity, it's weird how remaining the world, calm. Uh, connects us, right? Everything's connected. I'm a genuine believer in that. And I believe, just going back to the other point about opportunities, I believe that we all are presented with opportunities, but most of us are closed, so closed off to them that we miss them. And those opportunities are being presented to us all the time. But because we're so angry or depressed or anxious or worried, oh, we didn't see that one, didn't see that one. And that's why when you see people go, well, I don't, you know, did you always intend to do this? Most successful people are just open. They're open to the opportunities as they get presented. 100%, man. I'm in alignment with that. So the book, Equanimity? Yeah. Equanimity. Where can they get that? Is it on Amazon? It's on Amazon. uh, And I've got to tell you, if I was anybody, I'd get the Audible version. I've just finished it. One of the uh, National Opera uh, thespians has narrated it for me. And I sat there listening to it over the weekend and I went, wow, this is just beautiful the way he, he talked through the story for me. Uh, so you didn't do it? It was somebody else? No. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was, I like your voice, man. It would have been cool to hear you too. (laughs) Well, look, Simon, I want to thank you for coming on today. Thank you for being transparent. I could talk to you for hours, but unfortunately I got to keep this show like within the the time constraints. So thank you so much for coming on. If there's anything I can ever do for you in the future, let me know. And I look forward to possibly doing some things with you because I have some ideas because opportunities are everywhere. And you just uh, opened up a lot of uh, synergies with me when I was just talking to you. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, Any final words? I appreciate you. I could see that, as I said that, you know, there was this light bulb that was sort of flickering above your head. Yeah, That's, yeah. You know, because I see things happening in real time all the time because I'm, I'm open. And once you're open to life, life is, you know, life is just brilliant. Oh, that's, and that's that wall I was talking about earlier in the show that people build up, right? Another brick in the wall. Break those walls down, guys. Thanks so much for coming here and listening to the show today with Simon Leslie and your boy, The Unstoppable C-Rock. Listen, we come back twice a week. Keep coming back. Send people this way, man. I mean, these shows are filled with information, expertise, experience from people that have done it. And so stop trying to figure things out all on your own. Like you need some help, just come to the shows and check them out. We'll keep coming back. Keep it creating unstoppable people here on the What Are You Made Of podcast. I thank and love every single one of you. Thank you so much. And until next time, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, mikecrock.com forward slash book. That's Mike. C-R-O-C dot com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.